Good morning. It is great to see you all here in person, online. I love that no one sits in the front row. It's kind of like you're... I, I am a spitter, and it's sort of like Shamu, right? Nobody wants to get wet. We should give out ponchos so people can sit in the front row. That would be good. Um, hey, we're go we are studying Exodus, and today we're talking about names. Names. You know, lots of times, instead of calling people by their personal name, Jake, Amy, Rosa, we use their jobs as their name. We call them by their job. You know, my dentist, my hairdresser, my kid's teacher at school. And that goes with something that we talked about last week, that names, they're not just a label that we wear. Our names represent our character, our mission, even our jobs. So, last week we were in Exodus chapter 3. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush. And we learned God's personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh. And, and we looked at how love and justice and rescue are all part of God's name. We also looked at God's mission in Exodus. God is on a mission to reveal his name, his character, his mission, his purpose. He, he's also on a mission. He's revealing that to his chosen people. And then through his chosen people, he's revealing his name, his reputation to the world. God's name is a super important theme in the book of Exodus. But again, when it comes to his name, you have to think big. You have to think big about God revealing his name, about us knowing his name. It's not us knowing his name in like a casual way, like Yahweh. Oh yeah, I know Yahweh, Jesus' dad. I met him at the church potluck. He's a good guy. No, no. Throughout Exodus, God talks about people knowing and trusting and believing in his name. Those things are linked together. To know God's name is to trust it. Trusting God's name shows that you know God's name. It's kind of like what the Apostle John, Jesus' good friend, said about God. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Yeah, God's on a mission to rescue us from sin and death, to give us eternal life. And he's doing that through, through us believing in his name, through us taking on his name, his character, living in the life of Jesus, and us representing his name to the world. That's how God's making the world perfect again. So last week, we looked at this story of Moses and the burning bush. We looked at it from more of the perspective of God, who he is, his character, his purpose, his mission. And today, we're going to shift and look at the same story from more of the perspective of Moses, from our perspective. Because this story doesn't just teach us a ton about God. It also teaches us about us, God's calling to us. Yeah, what happens to Moses in Exodus in a cool way, it helps us understand why Jesus would say to us, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah, what happens to Moses 
It helps us understand why at the beginning, 2,000 years ago, there was no such thing as a Christian who just believed in Jesus. No, to follow Jesus then meant to be his disciple, to learn to live like him, to represent him in everything we do, everything we say. And what happens to Moses at the burning bush, it helps us to understand how God, he's calling us to know and trust his name. At the very same time, he's calling us to go and share his name with others. Yeah, believing, being a disciple, disciple maker, what we see is it's a package deal. (laughs) They go together. People should be able to call us. If we're followers of Jesus, they should be able to call us by the mission, the job that God gave us. So grab a Bible. We're going to look at Exodus 3 and 4. It's page 39 on the Bibles we got here at home. You know, grab your Bible. Let's actually look at what it says in the Bible. And first, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive into the Scripture. So, Lord, I welcome you here even more. Holy Spirit, come. And I thank you for this story in Exodus. I thank you for its power and how you have used it, God, for years to introduce yourself and to teach us about what you're calling us into. So do that now, Lord. Come and change us. Come and make us more like Jesus. Amen. So, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that, that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Okay, already here, in the story of the burning bush, we can see how things play out in our lives, how God calls to us. And it's not how we would, we would expect it. We got lots of nutty ideas. But this old story, it shows us how things actually work. First off, lots of us, many of us, hear this story and we think, oh, come on, that was Moses, right? This crazy burning bush thing happens to Moses because Moses is this crazy, amazing leader. That's not me. I'm not that, right? I'm kind of a nobody. God's probably forgotten about me. Funny thing, though, at this point in the story, Moses is a washed-up failure. Seriously. he's He's probably feeling like, I'm completely forgotten out here in the wilderness, But he wasn't forgotten. God saw Moses. God hasn't forgotten about us either. He sees us. An even bigger picture, right? God doesn't just call superheroes to to know his name, to to make his name known in the world. No, the the Apostle Paul, this was one of Jesus' first followers. He was one of the first church planters. He writes a letter, and he starts this letter out with this. It starts out with Paul. It's like from Paul. And then you get to verse 2, and he says, it's to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
their Lord and ours. Then he says later, brother and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Yeah, we may not be much, but we're called. We're called. We're called to be, to be believers. We're called to be disciples, and we are called to be disciple makers. Now, I know when I was a kid, this, when I, especially back when I was in junior high, this was way easier for me to understand because I was addicted to radio preachers. Seriously, Chuck Swindoll, he was my favorite, but I loved them all. I, and, you know, back then, I was fired up to know Jesus, and I wanted to tell the world about Jesus. And, you know, I think it is easier for kids because kids, they love, they, they love adventure stories, right? They, they love quests to save the world, heroes on a mission. Yeah, before kids get all cynical like us, they, they think they're going to grow up and change the world, right? That they're going to make a difference. Just ask any kid what they want to be when they grow up. You'd have a hard time finding a kid who says, oh, you know, when I grow up, I want to just stare at a computer for hours and hours, and I want to just shuffle paper all around, and I just want to work for a paycheck. No. And, you know, maybe kids are right. You know, most psychologists would tell us that to have a good life, you've got to have a mission. There has to be something bigger than ourselves than we're, that we are working on. When God calls us, we're not superheroes, more like super sinners. But just like Moses, he gives us a mission, a great adventure that we get to join in on. Are you a little excited about that? Yeah, I know I am too. Yeah, well, let's do this thing. All right, so back, back to Moses, right? Moses you know, he's wandering around in the wilderness. He's not seeking God. No, no, no. God calls him. That's why the Apostle Paul, he says, right, all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, each and every one of us is called because no one seeks God unless God's called them first. Romans, there is no one who seeks God. Now, I know that's true, but for most of us, it don't feel true, right? We look around the world and we're like, oh, come on now. It looks like lots of people, everybody's seeking God, right? Everybody's looking for their truth. Everybody's trying to figure out how this crazy world makes sense. But this is how it actually works, okay? (laughs) The story shows us how it actually works. Everybody is seeking something, but nobody seeks God unless they're called. And that's easy for us to get wrong because the way that we avoid the one true God is by seeking counterfeit gods, made-up gods, pretend gods that we can control. I mean, if you think about it, the reason why sometimes we keep God at arm's length, sometimes the same reason why some people, they hide from God or even hate God, it's all the same reason. It's because us humans, we are deathly afraid to lose control, to not be the boss of our lives. And the best way for us to avoid the one true God who deserves, who demands control, is to make up false gods who we can control we can pull the strings. 
Now, us humans, we've been at this for centuries. But in our world today, if you look at the, especially the, the particularly the modern American church, you can find two really big false gods. First, there's the great and mighty Lord only rules. Now, he's stern, this God, right? He, he, he's all about morality and what's right and wrong, and he's so judgmental. But do you see how we control him? It's by basically being good people. It's by doing, following his rules. And if we follow his rules, then he owes us, owes us the good life, owes us a ticket to heaven. Then we got him. I don't know about you, but I grew up a good Mennonite boy, so I've spent some time seeking this God, being religious, feeling good about how good I was, and also kind of getting mad when God wouldn't answer my prayers. I mean, didn't God know that he owes me? Maybe you've been there. The other really big pretend God today is the great and mighty Lord only love. Lord only love. And oh, he's the best, right? He's all love and he accepts us no matter what. And, you know, he, he just wants us to have the best life we can today. And, and then he gives everybody a ticket to heaven. Whoo, yay. I don't know about you, but I flirted with this God too. He, he's the God of finding our own truth. The God of deciding for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. You ever been there? Stepping back, do you see how this is all about control? You know, Lord only rules, right? We get him to owe us. And then Lord only love, we don't owe him anything at all. But neither of these are the God you find in the Bible. No, <laughs> no. The, the God in the Bible calls to us like he called to Moses in the wilderness. It's Yahweh, Yahweh. And he is loving but he ain't tame. You can't control him. And sure, he has loving laws and rules for us to follow, ways to love him back, ways to have life to the fullest. And he does demand that we turn from our sin, that we follow his rules. But he also knows that we can't rescue ourselves from sin, that we can't have the good life on our own. So he sends Jesus, Jesus, his only son, Maybe you know him. Jesus, he humbled himself, became human, lived this perfect life, and then he suffered and died on that cross to rescue us, to pay the price, to experience hell in our place for all the bad things we've ever done, but also to give us his righteousness, his perfection so we can be with him, so we can enjoy him and his life-changing love, so we can join in his mission. Jesus, he don't owe us anything. We owe him everything. The only thing we can do is surrender to him, surrender control of our lives. Yeah, do you see how this actually with the one true God, it's about control, it really is. And nobody wants that, to give up control. Nobody wants to seek that, God, that kind of God. God has to break through. He has to shake us up with his love. How does he do that? How does he call us? I am so glad you asked. 
Because that's the story of, that we're looking at in, in Exodus, the burning bush, right? It shows us how God does it. It shows us the pattern for how that works, how God calls us to know his name and to share his name with the world. Now, first off, again, we all start out in this place where we have wrong ideas of God. We think he's this stern judge who's just damning people to hell, or we think he's this Santa Claus up in the clouds, or, or maybe he's just a ticket to heaven to us, or maybe, you know, God, he's there when you really need him, but God helps those who help themselves. The point is that we are locked in to our wrong views about God. And then there's a burning bush. Whew. Something happens in life that like shakes us up, that gets us out of, uh, you know, it doesn't com compute for us. We're like, what is going on? It's like Moses at the burning bush, like, oh, that don't make sense. You know, that challenges my worldviews. A bush that burns, it doesn't burn up. God gets our attention. And he does this in lots of ways. He uses lots of things to do this. But I've never met a follower of Jesus who couldn't point to how God has gotten their attention in their lives. You know, on the milder end of the spectrum, God, he uses things like things we read in books or a, a comment from a friend, maybe a simple act of kindness, even a sermon, you know, a talk like this, believe it or not. Things, they some, get through to us. Maybe it's something as simple as meeting a follower of Jesus who doesn't meet our preconceptions. You know, they're, they're firm, they're confident in their beliefs. At the same time, they're way more open-minded and loving than we would expect than any of our non-Christian friends. Have you ever seen that burning bush? For me, when I was a young Wall Street attorney, God got my attention. Um, it was uh, one night, I was in a windowless conference room. And I'll tell you, at this point, I'm on the track to like wealth and success in my life, prestige. But there I am in this conference room. It's 3 a.m on a Saturday night, and I'm helping on some billion-dollar deal. And the senior partner, he is handing off the deal to me because he's going to go home and get some sleep. And that's all normal, right, in my life at that time. But what hit me like a burning bush was, wait a minute, the senior partner's going home, and it's 3 a.m., I mean, this guy, he's a super amazing good lawyer. He makes millions of dollars a year, but he's going home at 3 a.m. I'm going to stay all night and work, but I'm in my 20s. He's old, and he hardly sees his family, and his whole life is work. There's nothing wrong with wealth and prestige, but there's got to be more to life. This ain't life to the fullest. Have you ever seen that burning bush? Sometimes God, he um, uses things maybe on the harsher end of the spectrum to get our attention. He uses things like financial problems, bankruptcy, or nasty breakups, divorce, or even illness, cancer. I know God got my attention with my cancer. And you know, with all of these things at first, we don't always see God in them. Like Moses didn't see God at first in the burning bush. There's just something that's not right, that like shakes us up, that challenges the way we see life. For you, today, is there something in your life that's a flame? <sighs> is there something that's got your attention, right? Maybe that's thrown a monkey wrench into your life. If there is, please listen for the call of God. Don't miss out on this great opportunity 
to believe in him, right? To, to get past our wrong ideas about God and, and to actually see who he is. He's a God that we can't control by being good and we can't avoid by being bad. Yahweh, Jesus, the only thing we can really do is surrender to him. He's all that matters. Okay, let's get back to Moses, Moses' story. And what's the next step in this call to us? Um, we're going to go back, we're going to jump back to, um, to, Mo, to chapter 3, and we're going to look, start again at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he, that's Moses, had gone over to look, God called him, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Um, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pretzelites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Yeah, Moses started making excuses. Now, so here, God's calling Moses, right? He's calling Moses. What's Moses' call? What's Moses' mission? I mean, it's easy, right? It's his mission is to help God save the people. It's the Exodus narrative, the, the way that God defines his name. It's the meta narrative of the whole Bible, right? Okay, but that's Moses' second call. What's Moses' first call here, his primary call? Let me give you a hint. Jesus, he asked uh, a bunch of guys, 12 of them, to help him with his mission. And in Mark 4, in Mark 3, excuse me, it describes it this way. He, Jesus, appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Okay, Jesus called these jokers so he could send them out. But first he called them so that they might be with him. Moses, right? Moses is called to go save the people from slavery in Egypt. But first, God's like, Moses, Moses, come be with me. Moses, the 12 disciples, us, right? We are called first to God, to God, right? Before we can tell anybody God's name, about who his character is, we need to learn it ourselves. The first disciple that you help make is you. Right? It's like on the airplane, right? You put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. That, that's how this thing works. As disciples, as, as apprentices of Jesus, we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? 
We're supposed to take on Jesus, his character. We're supposed to take on the the things that are in Jesus. We're supposed to take on his courage and his warmth and his integrity, his compassion. We're supposed to have his crazy good balance of humility and boldness, of, of, of grace and truth. We're supposed to become holy, sanctified, set apart just like Jesus. Why? To make Jesus happy? Sure, you betcha, absolutely. It's a way of loving him back, of giving him glory. Do do we do it for ourselves because it's good for us? Sure, absolutely. It's the way that we actually find true freedom in life. We become who we're meant to be. But we also do it. We become like Jesus. We are, are his disciples because it's a way that we take on his name and then represent his name to the world. That's, it's part of God's mission to make the world perfect again. I mean, seriously, if you, if you think about it, right? When Jesus sent out those 12 jokers and he said, go, make disciples, right? What did he send them out with? What did he give them? Did, did he give them like amazing binders, you know, ma- training manuals on evangelism and discipleship? Did he give them, oh my goodness, this amazing marketing plan, right? You know, social media strategy? No. Think about what we do here, right? Did he teach them to play killer guitar or to give a talk and not put people to sleep? Nope. What was Jesus thinking? Right, I mean, he knew the Holy Spirit was coming and he would change everything. But Jesus sent them out with one thing. What was that one thing? Jesus. In John 17, now John 17 is amazing. It's Jesus' longest recorded prayer, and he's about to go to the cross, so he's summoned everything up for his disciples, and he says, he's talking to his father, and he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, that's the disciples, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Do you see the one thing Jesus sent them out with? Maybe, kind of. Well, you see them being sent out, right? As I was sent, I am sending them into the world. Verse 18, it it doesn't get any more missional than that. But notice that them being sent out, it's like in a sanctify sandwich, right? Verse 17 before, verse 19 after, as the disciples being sanctified. Sanctified is not a word that normal people use. No. Sanctified means to be set apart, to be made holy. These these disciples, they were called to Jesus, and they answered that call. They went to Jesus. They spent time with him. They lived with him. They became like him. They learned to have his character, to do the things that he did the one thing that he sent them out with to change the world and they did change the world the one thing that he wants us to have 
is personal discipleship, holiness, to be like him. This is super important. There are way more than 12 of us in this room watching online. More than 12 of us. Why are our workplaces, our schools, the Twin Ports, the Upper Midwest, the entire world not more changed? Could it be that we've got other stuff like manuals and programs and skills, but what we're lacking is holiness? That there's gaps, there's inconsistencies in our personal discipleship. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not against bribing people, tricking them to come to church and to see a snazzy show. Let's keep doing that. That's all good. But you know when people come here, they're not really looking for a good show. They're thinking, does that guy live this? If this is true, do these people actually do this stuff? See, we are surrounded in our lives by people who desperately need Jesus and his love. And they're looking at us and they're thinking, hey, there's a follower of Jesus. Are they kinder than most people? Are they less snobbish, more open-minded, more hospitable? Can, can they deal with life, the stress, the anxiety, the loneliness? Can they face death? Does this help them think better? Are they different? When people look at us, what do they see? I mean, if we're followers of Jesus, that's a fair question. We, we should get honest about that. I know for me, I need to be honest about it. Jesus, I need you more. I need to be more like you. I, I need to spend more time each day, each week with Jesus. I need to be more honest about where there are gaps, where I'm not living a godly life. We all have our addictions, our sins of choice. I need sometimes to just do the stuff that Jesus did, to ask the next person I see who's sick, can I pray for you right now? To, to show up and actually help care for the poor. See, Jesus is calling us to discipleship, personal discipleship. Are we in? And it's not something we earn, but it is something we make an effort at. We open ourselves up to God. Okay. Moses. Moses, again, he, he is called to God, right? Moses, Moses. And then he is sent out to, to save the Israelites from slavery. And immediately he starts making excuses. He tries to get out of it. Us, we are called to God. And then we are called to go and make disciples. And many of us are stuck making excuses. Now, we do see in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 that God is patient with our excuses, although he doesn't really like them. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. We need to stop with the excuses already. We do. And you know, the, Moses, he doesn't make the excuse that we most often make in our lives. This one is so popular today. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. In truth, and I'm coming to, to terms with this truth myself, um, I'm too busy is not much of an excuse. There are 24 hours in the day. 
We all got the same number, okay? 24 hours a day, and we all get to decide what to do with those 24 hours. Set, we live in a free country, right? We get to set our priorities. We do. And, you know, to, to make disciples of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be a disciple to make disciples, we, we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to make that effort. If, we, if we're actually in on this thing, you'd be able to look at our calendars and you'd see things like time with God right there on the calendar, and we'd also, we'd also take time to, to think and pray about the people in our lives who need Jesus. We, we'd make space in our lives for them. Yeah, if you want to know our priorities, it's not hard. Look at how we spend our time, what's on the calendar. Now Moses, he also makes some of the same, very same excuses we make. Like, I'm not qualified, I'm afraid, you know, who am I, Lord, right? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not eloquent, you know, I, God, if you only knew who, uh, who I am, right, how broken and how sinful I am, God, you know, you can't send me, I'm, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too dumb, I'm too nerdy, I, you know, I'm too emotional, God, you, you got to pick somebody else. What is it for you? And God, right, he, what, he, when he hears all this, does he say to us, oh, no, no, come on, you're much better than you think you are. You can do it, right? If you just believe in yourself, I know you can do it. You can help me on my mission. Nope. God doesn't say any of that. He, he says to Moses, um, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, uh, I'll be with you. And um, maybe you remember, but Jesus says exactly the same things to us. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, we're not qualified we're not good enough. Get over it. We're just way too focused on ourselves. We need to be more focused on Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, trust me. If I'm calling you to something, I'm going with you, and I am all you need. All you need. Afraid to go to small group? Maybe you're afraid to go to small group because, you know, there, there might not be anyone there that you know or, or that, that, that you like. So what? Jesus is going to be there. Jesus, he's going to be at small group for you. He's waiting for you at small group to get to know you, to love you, to teach you. Afraid to lead a small group? To show up and serve at the food shelf or to teach the kids? Oh, we're just way too focused on ourselves. We don't see Jesus there calling us in to, to be with him, loving us. He's like, come on, let's do this together. Not qualified? Not, not qualified to what? It, it, invite a coworker to come to church or tell a friend our story. Tell them about Jesus. Not qualified. Have you read the Bible? God works through incredibly unqualified, damaged people. We're just the kind of people that he loves to partner with, to, to be with. We need to relax and do it with Jesus. Be with Jesus. He loves to be with us. Now, Moses, 
in the story, eventually he just says to God flat out, I don't want to do it. Please, God, please, can you find somebody else? Right? I, I, I don't want to. And, and he makes God mad. Now imagine that, making God mad. I wonder if the burning bush got like brighter, like, imagine making God mad. But let's look at our lives. In what we do, in what we don't do, many of us are saying to God, God, yeah, it's cool. You're on a mission to make disciples, to make your name known, to save the world, but I don't want to help. No, I don't want to. I don't want to make the sacrifice. I don't want to do the work. You got it. God sees that, and it makes him mad because he loves us. He loves us so much. He, he doesn't need us for his mission. No. He, he invites us to be part of the mission because he loves us. He knows that we need to be part of it to deal with that empty, restless feeling inside of us. We need a mission to have life to the fullest. His mission is what we need. Will we join in? And let's stop making excuses. And I got three suggestions on how we can press into this. First, we can pray. Oh, praying. We, we can ask God to change our wanters, to change what we want, to warm us up to his call, to his mission, through who he is, his name, his character. He is so good at loving us into changing what we actually want. Let's ask for that. Second, again, you, we can't make disciples if we're not disciples. We need a personal discipleship plan. What's your plan? Ask God, right? Ask other followers of Jesus what they're doing. You know, try some stuff. Experiment with regular time in prayer and reading the Bible and going to small groups, serving, spiritual disciplines. Come up with a plan for your life. Write it down. Tape it on the fridge. It's that important and ask Jesus to help, because he will. And then third, between now and Easter, invite five people to church, five people. And hopefully, most of those five people will ask you why, why you're inviting them. And that will give you a beautiful chance to tell them why, to tell them about what Jesus has done in your life, what he is doing, to share his name with them. Oh, this is good stuff. God is doing amazing things, and he's inviting us into it. We get to partner with him. We get to help make the world perfect again. And this Exodus story, the, the name of God helps us see, helps us accept how believing and being a disciple and being a disciple maker it's a package deal. They go together in our lives. They're part of God's beautiful plan, his beautiful adventure for your life. Will you join in with that plan? Will you be part of what he's doing in you, in the world? I tell you what, why don't you stand up now? We'll move into this ministry time. Um, folks online, you can stand up or get yourself comfortable because we're going to talk to God now. We're going to ask him to come and really work in our lives. So Holy Spirit, come. I invite more of your presence here in this room with us today. We need you. We need your incredible love.
And Lord, I first of all thank you that you are calling us. And so help us now, Holy Spirit, to really hear that call in our lives. For some of us, you you really do need to get our attention. I know that's true for me. I am such a bonehead sometimes, God. You know. I can be so thick-headed. But Lord, use whatever is happening in our lives. Use those things to open us up to who you really are. to, To shake us into seeing you and surrendering to you. Maybe that's something that we've never done in our lives. If, I, I don't know where each of us are at. If, if you've never started believing in Jesus, if you've never just surrendered your life to this great and beautiful God, I would invite you to do that right now, just to tell him you're in. God, I want you. I need you. I believe in you. And then, Jesus, I thank you that you love us no matter where we are, but you don't leave us where you find us. You do want to change us to be more and more like you. You do this beautiful thing where you give us life to the fullest by making us like you. Holy Spirit, show us the places in your life that you want to do that now, the things that you want to work on. Maybe it's sin issues that you want to bring healing and you're calling us to repent. If that's it, help us just to say, yep, God, I see that. I agree. I'm done with that. I need your strength. Come, Lord. Or maybe it's things that you're calling us into that we are just dragging our feet. We, we don't want to actually serve the poor. We don't want to read our Bibles. We just, we got other things to do. There's so much good stuff on TV, God. God, if, if there's things that you're pointing to in our lives, help us to see them. Help us to say yes. And then, God, you are inviting us to join in on this mission, to look like you so people can see you. And it's funny, you're calling us to do all these things at once. That's just crazy. It's not like you're like, Moses, take five years and become more like me, and then go. No, the minute that you call us to yourself, You call us to tell people about you. All in one. That's crazy, God. You love us so much. You'll accept the fact that we are broken and we're not very good at it. And you're like, "Eh, come, get in on the joy with me. So Lord, help us to do that. Get in on the joy of making you known. Even right now, God, point out people in our lives that need you. Help us to pray for those folks. Help us to be the person that shows them Jesus. Show us ways right now that we can press into that. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, you are so good. You know, I want to invite the ministry team to come forward. If you're watching online, you can clicky something and talk to folks online, and they can pray for you. These folks here, they're coming. They're all folks, even online, that are trained to pray for you. Um, if if any of this is like resonating with you, that is the time to come forward. If you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not sure I know Jesus and I've, I've surrendered to him. These folks can help introduce you to Jesus right now. Or if you're like, I don't know where I'm at in becoming more like him or in actually telling people about him. And if you are nervous about it or if you're excited about it, we'd love to pray for you. And, and also, if you're not feeling anything, if you're like, this isn't for me, 
hmm, maybe that's the time to come forward and let someone pray for you. Jesus has things for you today. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's help in your relationships and wisdom in your finances. I don't know what it is, but whatever God has for you, I would encourage you to stay and receive that before you go because that's the good stuff. They're going to lead us in some more worship. Slow down. Let God speak to you. Thanks for coming to the vineyard.